move on from there. If you haven't noticed, um, we've been a little busy lately, um, and if you start noticing, things are going to start getting a little purple around here because VBS is coming. Um, it's definitely an exciting time of year, but it is also a very busy one, as some of you can attest to, right? Um, I know Judy's got downstairs, and she all saw this room with all kinds of uh, stuff in there. Where is she? She's got to be in here somewhere. It's going to pick on her. She's not even in here. There's, oh, okay. Well, she's just drooling over all of this decorating stuff that we've got in the basement. She walks in the room, and she's so excited. She's seen this, and she's seen that, and I'm going to do that with this with that, and that with this, and she's just so excited, and we're all very excited as we're getting, getting ahead of ourselves here, but there are plenty of opportunities with this VBS for you to serve and to give, so make sure you ask. Make sure you let us know, because there are plenty of places, all right? Well, this is all quite exciting, right? I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, we have to admit something here. This all can be a little overwhelming, too, can't it? Um, we have to decorate. We have to buy materials. We have to plan lessons. We have to organize crafts and games. We have to set up registration. We have to advertise, and it goes on and on and on, right? Um, there's a lot to do. I think it can become very easy for us to get tunnel vision, to get so focused on my task that we end up missing the message. Think about it. At the end of day three of VBS, if I were to ask you, would you be able to tell me what the kids were taught that day? Maybe, maybe not. Would you be able to tell me the key verse? Maybe, maybe, probably not. Every one of us here will be a part of the educating of our children. Who knows what that child is going to ask, or worse yet, when they're going to ask it. If you have a child at home, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Sherry, they've never asked you awkward questions? Never. In public places, it's never happened. In addition, if we are ourselves not learning and growing, then we won't be able to provide an environment in which our children can learn and grow. Our children should not and cannot be the spiritual leaders in our households, right? Okay, so we should go out in front of them and learn before them so that we can teach. And so for that reason, we're going to be doing something a little different for the next month. I'm pretty excited by all of this. Um, our VBS curriculum happens to have five lessons. And there just happens to be five Sundays in the month of July. So we're going to be doing Monday through Thursday VBS, four lessons, right? But those four Sundays starting today before VBS, we're going to be teaching those lessons here in our Sunday service. And then on that fifth Sunday, July 31st, we're going to do the fifth VBS lesson in Big Fish, and all the kids will be down, down the hall in children's worship. And Roger will be down here preaching the same lesson as the kids are learning down there, right? Maybe a more adult version of the same lesson, but you get the picture, right? It just so happens that um, we're going to do this for the month of July. Um, I got a little lost there. So today, I get to cover lesson one of VBS. Jesus gives us hope. On day, one's the kid, on day one, the kids will learn about the light, Jesus coming into the world, announced by John the Baptist. God's people longed and waited for Jesus coming with great anticipation and hope. As Jesus the light entered the world, he gave us hope for a future, a world free from sin, and eternity 
heavenly eternity as a child of God. The memory verse that will be emphasized is Psalm 71.5. O Lord, you alone are my hope. But you know, kids ask the hardest questions, don't they? And so when we start off and we say, Jesus is our hope, what do you think they're going to ask? The one question you're not ready for, what are they going to ask? What's hope? Are you ready for that one? We're going to do the adult version now. How many, how many of these kids do you think know what hope is? How many of you think you know what hope is? If I were to put you on the spot right now and ask you to give me a definition of hope, how do you think that would go? All right, Michelle, give it to me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> oh, that would be really mean, wouldn't it? Well, I guess it would be about the same as putting Nevaeh on the spot to do PowerPoint. She wasn't even paying attention until I said her name. <laughs> so mean. But today I want to highlight two important aspects of hope. Knowledge and action. As with so many other topics of Bible study, our English language tends to get in the way. The way that we use the word hope tends to be along the lines of something like a desire or a wish. I hope that the weather will be nice for our camping trip, especially since we're going camping in a tent, right? That would be really nice to have some nice, beautiful, sunny, 75, 80-degree days. But when we're camping in a tent for five days, what's going to happen? It's probably going to rain for four of those, isn't it? Or at least it's going to downpour really good for one of them so everything gets soaked. Now, what kind of confidence can I take in the hope that the weather will be nice two weeks from now. What kind of confidence can I take in that hope? Shall we talk about the weather for a moment? It's so unpredictable that you end up with something like this, right? Hey, that looks pretty nice. Sun, 67. Sun, 75. Sun, 77. And more sun with a little clouds of 68. We can deal with that, can't we? But when we look at the weather... And then we step outside, what generally tends to happen? Is this always right? Is it right most of the time? Is it right about half the time? Sometimes it's just like, always like that. It's sunshine and 70 degrees, and you step outside and it starts downpouring on your picnic. Or, or you don't water the flowers because it's supposed to rain today, and then you get home in the evening and the flowers are dead because it didn't rain. All our flowers, I think, are dying or dead. We're terrible with flowers at our house. We kill so Sarah's embarrassed now because she knows it's true. We're really bad with our flowers. We don't water them nearly enough. So when I say that I hope the weather will be nice, what kind of confidence can I place in that hope? None, right? It's a wish. No matter how much I hope that I have good weather, I'm still going to be packing a rain tarp and being prepared to find some indoor activities that allow us to get out of the rain, just in case. Because my hope is not, this will happen and therefore I'll plan accordingly. My hope is wishful thinking. It would be nice if it didn't rain is essentially what I'm saying, isn't it? Now let's back up for a moment. Remember the key verse for our day. Psalm 71.5 O Lord, you alone are my hope. So if this is our definition of hope, 
then is there any meaning to this verse at all? If our definition of hope is essentially wishful thinking, then is there any meaning to that verse? Jesus is my hope. I hope. Our focus for day one is telling kids that Jesus gives them hope. Does that hope have any value? Or is it just wishful thinking? How do we reconcile this and come up with an, and come up with an answer? Well, like we should do with every good question, we need to turn to the Bible. Right? That's a good place to start, isn't it? So let the Bible define the terminology of the Bible. So when Scripture uses the word hope, what does it mean? That's the question we're going to ask. When Scripture uses the word hope, what does it mean? Okay? Let me line up three verses here for you. These are three verses from the Old Testament all dealing with hope. Okay? Isaiah 42, verse 3 and 4. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Okay, second verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Finally, Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior, my God will hear me. So let's ask the same question of all three of these verses. Why does this person have hope? What about that verse, about that context, enables them to have hope? Isaiah 42. The islands put their hope in God because he is gentle, faithful, and will bring forth justice. In Jeremiah 29, God promises that we will be given hope because he has good plans for us. God is in control. Micah 7, the author waits in hope because he knows that God hears him. None of this hope is based on wishful thinking. It's not based on desires of the heart, and it's not based on chance. They are all based on a foundational knowledge of who God is and what he does. So a scriptural hope is founded in knowledge. So first and foremost, in order for us to have hope, we have to know something. So I can't hope for good weather because I don't know that the weather will be good, right? But I can hope in God because I know that God is good. Correct? See the difference there? Hoping in the weather is based in unfounded Lacking knowledge, and it's not there. Hoping in God is based in something we know. I know this to be true, therefore I place my hope. Okay, so that has to be our starting point. Hope is based in knowledge. We aren't at the Lions game, hoping that somehow they're going to pull it off and come from behind to win. I know the score is 45 to 10, but there is still a chance we can still have hope. There is a dream. But there is no hope. Hope is not founded in chance, luck, or circumstance. It's founded in, it's grounded in foundational truths. Because God is in control, I can have a hope for the future. Because God is faithful, I can have hope that injustice will not endure. Will not endure. Because God hears me, 
I can have the hope to make it through today and tomorrow. Hope is the manifestation of trust in God's person and identity. Let me repeat that. Hope is the manifestation of trust in God's person and identity. Hope is a product of what trust does to us. Hope is what trust does to us. For something to be worthy of that kind of trust, the, the kind of trust that produces hope means it must be shown to consistently never fail. If it fails once, is it worthy of hope? No, not even once. There must be a pattern of faithfulness that is so sure that the next moment can be described as secure because every single moment before reveals an integrity and power that cannot be overcome. If God did it once, twice, three times, a hundred, a thousand, even millions of times before, then when he does it again, it's not a matter of chance or wishful thinking. Saying, I hope that God loves me is not based on chance, is it? Because what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that God loved Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that God loved Abram. The, God, the Bible tells us that God loved Noah, loved David, loved Joseph, loved Moses. Let's just go through the list here, right? Over and over and over and over again without fail. So what does that tell us about us? That God loves us. So that means that that love is something we can put hope in because it's based in knowledge. It is based in something we know to be true beyond a doubt. Hope is founded in knowledge. We cannot hope in what we do not know. Understand why it's important now to know your Bible? Because you cannot hope in the promises that you do not know? That doesn't mean that our hope is based on scientifically proven fact. Sometimes it is, right? There are things that are scientifically proven that we can place our hope in. Things about God, even. But sometimes trust means just that. Trusting in a pattern, a perfectly solid pattern of faithfulness. You can't prove, scientifically prove faithfulness, can you? But when God does something over and over and over again without fail, what do you know he's going to do next? Same exact thing. Because God is faithful. God is consistent. God is justice. Hope is because of who he is. But knowledge and trust are not the end of what hope is. Remember we said there's two things I wanted to bring to, bring to the front here. Two aspects of hope. Knowledge and action. So what does hope do to us? Because it doesn't matter if you have hope if it doesn't do anything, right? I can have as much hope as I could ever want, but if it doesn't change anything, what's the point? So hope does something. Knowledge and action. Because just like hope is not wishful thinking, it's not merely a feeling that we experience either. Think back to those three verses we looked at earlier. Oops. Let's ask a second question of them. Why did the subject of those verses need that hope? Because if we answer why they needed it, we'll start to answer what it does. Hope is of no value unless it does something to us. It gives us something that we do not currently have. So in each of the three verses, there was a very familiar, similar situation 
taking place. In Micah, the nation is falling apart around them. Micah chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Where's the hope there? Is there hope there? But yet, just a few verses later, he goes, But I have hope. The nations are swarming and Judah has become nothing but a pawn in the world's game. It's only a matter of time before Judah is overrun. The only question now is which nation is going to overrun them? So in this moment, the author proclaims that because of God's faithfulness, he will have hope. In other words, his hope will enable him to live contrary to the flow of his culture. It will spur him on towards faithfulness in response to unfaithfulness. And it will give him the comfort and the knowledge that God will always provide. Even if it doesn't happen in this person's day, he knows that God will keep his people. Although all he can see in front of him is disaster. In Jeremiah, they had just experienced the first exile. Babylon came and overthrew Judah. They took most of the wealthy and skilled laborers back to Jerusalem with them. Judah was left in a mess with very little resources, very little manpower or skill to overcome the adversity before them. But in the midst of this, God says that he has a plan for them, that he will give them a hope, and that he will give them a future. So what does this hope do? It gives them the ability to get through. It gives them the ability to get through to the other side. Hope here produces patience and endurance. The knowledge that there will be an end to their suffering gives them the ability to make it through their suffering with integrity and faithfulness. They do not abandon God because God has not abandoned them. Finally, that passage in Isaiah is written to a nation who is in exile. They're in a ghetto, in a foreign land, living as forced labor. Their knowledge in God's justice and faithfulness, again, enables them to endure. There will be an end to the injustice. They don't just wish this to be true, but they know it to be true because of their knowledge of God. Hope changes a people in exile. Why do you think it calls them the people of the islands? Because they're surrounded by oceans, stuck in a place where they don't belong. Surrounded by enemies. But there will be an escape. They won't be stuck on the island forever. They're not alone. Hope is knowledge of God that changes who we are and how we live. It involves both knowledge and action. If our hope is not founded in the knowledge of who God is and what he promises to do, then it's nothing more than wishful thinking. If our hope is founded in the knowledge of God, but does not change us, does not produce actions from us, then it serves no purpose, and it is of no use to us. So, thinking along those lines, hope without knowledge is just wishful thinking, and hope without action serves no purpose, let me ask you today, do you have hope? 
Do you have hope? Because if you don't, we need to talk, because I have some to give to you. Well, I have some to point to. God has some to give to you. Let's change that around a little, right? When we teach those kids that Jesus gives them hope, what are we teaching them? No matter what they they come, whatever what comes in their life, God is always there and God is always true. If you stand in this promise, there's nothing you cannot get through. There's always a way out. And tomorrow will bring a brighter day because not because of anything we've been told or anything we know, but simply because God said so. And because God has shown himself to be faithful, and because we know of that knowledge of God's faithfulness, and because God said it is so, then we know it to be. Because he's always faithful. So let your hope change you today. We, we hear that? Let your hope change you today. Let it impact the way you live, the way you act, the way you treat others, the way you endure, because let's face it, you can't endure without hope. So as we stand to sing one last song, I invite you. I invite you to come forward to learn more of this hope that we have. If you wish to pursue this hope through the act of baptism, the invitation is here. If you are seeking and have questions, please find myself, Roger, one of the elders. Well, the one elder who's here today, Brian. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> or even find one of our members because... There's a hope that lives in this church, and it doesn't live in its le- just in its leadership. But it lives within the community. It lives within the family of the church. And I bet you they can give you some better answers than even I or Roger can give you sometimes. Ask them where their hope comes from and what it's done to them. So let's now take a moment. Let's stand.